Um, and this morning, I would love uh, to look with you at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And you might think, well, that's really ambitious. Day after Christmas, you're going to tackle two psalms. But actually, if you look at it, this is actually one big psalm. Um, so while you're turning there to Psalm 42 and 43, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well, just a little bit of background as we come into this. First of all, we are in this season that historically the church is called Advent. Uh, we've been going through a series uh, together about grace appearing. The idea of Advent is that God actually has come and has appeared and has come to earth in Jesus. And during this season of Advent, we, we are thinking about anticipation, anticipating Jesus is coming. We're thinking about hope, which also means that there are things underneath those anticipations like longing, desires that are unmet. And this morning, Psalm 42 and 43 are going to capture that for us. Here's my second thing for our introduction. You'll notice that Psalm 42 and 43 are written by a group of people called the Sons of Korah. And this is just a really interesting sort of footnote. The sons of Korah, we actually run into them in Numbers chapter 16, much, much earlier before this psalm is written. And it's when God's people, the Israelites, they have been brought out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and they're actually wandering in the desert. And there's this uprising from the peoples that are around them, and they attack them in Numbers chapter 16. And one of those attackers is Korah, the people of Korah. And the only people that are saved and not killed in that attack by God's people are the sons of Korah. And they actually are brought into God's people, and then they become basically the musicians and the choir of God's people. And they write a few psalms for us. But I think that's really, really cool because God has always been bringing people into his people. And we actually sitting here this morning... We're actually evidence of that, that God is always bringing people into his church, into his people. But Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 really capture these ideas of longing and anticipation and hope for us. So with that, I'm going to read these two psalms uh, together. And this is God's word for us this morning. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock... Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the, of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to help us understand his word together this morning. (sighs) Heavenly Father, uh, like the deer pants uh, for water, uh, our souls thirst for you. And we just sang together that we will wait for you. We will wait for you. And as we are waiting and have waited, you have come. Jesus, you have come and become man and dwelt here with us to save us from our sin, to redeem us and to redeem even all of creation. And so we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts to long for Jesus, to anticipate in hope his coming again when all things will be made new. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're in this Advent season and thinking about these ideas of of longing and anticipation, I want to ask you a question. What is it that you find yourself longing for often? What are the things in life that you find yourself longing to see come true, longing to be undone? As I think about the last six months of of my own life, I've had uh, friends who have been Uh, diagnosed with colon cancer. I've had friends who it's been found that they have a malignant brain tumor that's inoperable. Uh, I also have friends who had cancer and it was gone and now it's come back and it's worse than ever. There's a lot of things in life that leave us longing. What about you? What about you this morning? Are you here this morning and, and you suffer from some sort of chronic pain and illness that goes unsaid oftentimes. And you're longing to see that undone. You're longing to find reprieve and relief from that. Are you here this morning and you have relationships that are fractured and broken and you're longing to see reconciliation brought to those things? Maybe you're here this, this morning and you are just longing for a normal school semester. You see, our longings, they can be simple, but they can also be very complex as well, too. And what I love about Psalm 42 and 43 is it really addresses this idea of longing. And it is clear and honest about reality, about our longings. And it actually invites us to be brutally honest about life and to step into God's promises of salvation in Jesus. That's our big takeaway this morning. Psalm 42 and 43 actually invite us to step into God's promise to us of salvation in Jesus. And the way that we're going to get there this morning is by thinking about two ideas, longing and remembering. So I want to kind of work those ideas out with you this morning, longing and remembering. Let's start with longing. Verses 1 and 2, we run into this immediate image that the sons of Korah give us, and it's a deer. And this deer has clearly, uh, 
been spent, been running so much that it's, it, it, it needs water and it finds itself at a stream. There's deep thirst and, and a deep need for that thirst to be quenched. And so we see this deer who is at this stream of water and panting for that water. And the psalmist says, my soul is like that. I'm so thirsty. My soul is dry. There's a deep thirst that exists. And even in verse two, it says, when am I actually going to catch a break, God? (laughs) When am I going to get some sort of reprieve for my soul that is so dry and so thirsty? And in verse three, the psalmist gives us another image to think about this. This time it's hunger and it's food. It says, actually, the only thing that I've eaten day and night are my tears. That's how much I've wept. And it's the only thing that I've eaten. And you know what? It's not satisfying the hunger. It's not helping. The thirst is going unquenched. And it caps off with, God, where are you? Where are you in my need? Where are you in my longing? My soul is so dry. You see, we immediately run in to this person who really feels kind of like all over the place. (laughs) And desperate. Because you notice this isn't a dialogue. Not talking to somebody. This is actual self-talk. And it's someone who's all over the place and desperate for relief. You ever felt that way? You ever feel all over the place? Desperate for relief? If you're here this morning and you have little, little ones. And you, you can't remember what a full night's sleep is. Like, that doesn't exist for you. You're desperate for rest and relief. Dare I say, longing for it. You know, you've confused the salt for sugar in your coffee one too many times, right? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're in the stage of life like I'm in, where, where my kids are not quite at that stage and they're in school now, and I'm coming to grips with the reality that their lives are as busy as mine is. And I have no idea what I'm doing. I show up at school and I realize, well, this one has coding club and this one has boxing and this one has art club. And oh, wait, I came to pick up four kids and one's coming home with me. And I have no idea and feel all over the place. And oh, by the way, yeah, we were the family that said, no, we'll never be like that. (laughs) Right? It just happens. Desperate for some sort of relief. Or maybe you're here this morning and your kids have now flown out of the nest and you're coming to grips with the reality that a lot of who you are has been wrapped up in being a parent and you're sitting across the dinner table at this other person and you're looking at them you're like I'm gonna have to spend the rest of my life with you (laughs) whoo I know that's what Kara will be thinking about me or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're teetering on retirement and you're coming to grips with the reality that a lot of who you are has been wrapped up in your job and in your work. And you're thinking to yourself, what in the world am I going to do with myself now? Or maybe you're even here this morning and you're getting towards the twilight of life and you're looking back on all of your life And you're wondering, well, how is this going to end? How's this going to go? Have I set up my family well? Are there relationships inside of my family that are fractured that I really, really want to see 
reconciliation brought to you? You see, no matter who we are (laughs) or what stage of life we might be in, we all know what it's like to be in a spot of longing, to be in a spot of desperation, to feel like I am all over the place. And we come to the same question that the psalmist does. God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? You see, this is one of the things that I love about God's word is that God's word is refreshingly honest about life as it is. It doesn't pull any punches. That oftentimes life feels desperate. It feels like we're wandering and confused and longing and it actually invites us into that honesty. It says, don't stuff it. Don't push it away. Open up. Cry out to God. Plead. Don't stuff it. Cry out to others. It invites us to that. Well, our longing psalmist goes on, and in verse 7, we get another image. And it gets even deeper. It's not just that he's thirsty. It's not just that he's hungry. But it's actually as though he's drowning. God, your waves and your breakers, they've overcome me. The waves of my situation, they overtake me totally. I feel truly helpless. No control over what is going on around me and in my life. Well, what is this situation? What is this situation that the sons of Korah are coming to? Well, we get, we, we get something about that in verses 9 and 10 of 42 and in verse 1 of 43. Look back there with me. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And if you skip down to verse 1, 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. You see what's happening to our writers, our writer is under attack. There are those who want to harm him, those who want to oppress and are oppressing him and seek to do harm to him. Those whose words are killing him. Words that are unjust, that that are deceitful and actually feel surrounded by his enemies. As I've been thinking about this psalm through Advent, this portion of the psalm reminded me a lot of what middle school and high school felt like to me. You know, we hear this old adage, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will, they'll never hurt me. And that's a massive lie. That's, that's a massive lie. And, and, and middle school and high school just felt like all the time you were on guard. You were waiting for the attack. It's so real in those words. Like they're killing me. They taunt me. I feel like I'm dying from them. And I felt like, yeah, I can get into these shoes. I have enemies all around me. You know, this word enemy in Scripture, it's multifaceted. It actually has a lot of different meanings and ways that enemy is talked about in Scripture. One of those is what we get here in Psalm 42 and 43. It's like an outside enemy that is seeking to do us harm. 
But another way that scripture talks about enemy is the idea of sin. The idea that there's actually something wrong with us personally. There is an enemy in our lives and it is actually our own sin. That the same enemies here that are attacking the psalmist, like we actually do those things too. Yeah, I know what it's like for words to feel like they're killing me, but you know what? I also know what it's like to speak words where I'm seeking to crush and to destroy as well too. Sin is also an enemy. It seeks to destroy and crush and kill. And sin is an enemy to ourselves. It's also an enemy to others as well. Like this, pride crushes others and it crushes us. Materialism breaks banks. It leaves the innocent unprotected. Power, power has such potential to dehumanize. Selfishness robs others of generosity. And also the enemy who seeks to destroy with words, right? Hurtful words. We are like the enemy that's actually even described here if we're really honest with ourselves. But the Bible also talks about enemy as the effects of sin in the world. And the word specifically that's used to describe an enemy to us is death. That death is an enemy. That the effects of sin being in the world has brought death and brokenness to our own bodies, that we come to grips with this reality that in this life, everything is moving toward decay. Everything's moving toward decay. Our bodies are moving toward decay. We get news just a couple of weeks ago of another school shooting and children dead, and that's something that this community knows all too well and all too close to home. A deadly virus that won't go away and keeps overwhelming our hospitals. This deep sense of longing for our enemies to be done away with. And those enemies can come from the outside, from the inside, and feel like they're all around us as well, too. Well, that brings us to our second idea that I want us to talk about this morning, and that's remembering. So longing and then remembering. It's interesting, in these two psalms, there's this back and forth that the psalmist does, vacillates between longing and remembering. And there's this specific refrain in verse 5 of 42, verse 11 of 42, and then in verse 5 of 43. Let's read that together. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, in the midst of the longing, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain and the attacks from the enemies, the writer remembers the God he actually cries out for. A God of hope, a God of salvation, a promise-keeping God. Verse 8 of 42 tells us that it is a God whose steadfast covenant love is with us no matter what. That he is actually the God of my life. Which is this recognition that even in the midst of my enemies, that God is the one who has ordered my life. It's not ignoring and numbing the longing. No, it's remembering that God is actually with us in the midst of our longing. Do you know God's presence like this? 
Do we know God's presence like this? Have we experienced this reality that the psalmist is talking about that's even uh, feels almost impossible to put into words of God's presence with us? And it's even more than that. Verse 3 of chapter 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. You see, God's presence brings truth and light to our darkness. In the shadow of our enemy, truth and light lead us to a God of justice. In the deep, dark enemy of that sin that we're struggling with, that we're so afraid to say out loud because we're afraid of what you might think of me, God is truth and light to that darkness and actually drawing us out in grace. Convincing us that exposure actually brings relief. Exposure brings forgiveness and healing. Bathed and birthed through confession and repentance. And hearing God's assurance of his grace to us in the finished work of Jesus, his son. And it's turning to Jesus who died for even the most heinous of sins. And... Verse 2 of 43, we see that this God that we are remembering is also a God of refuge. This idea of a safe place where we get to go when we're being pummeled by life, even actually at death's door, that God is with us and that he's going to see us through to wherever it is that he's bringing us. Even through death, where those who belong to Jesus What awaits for us is our Savior who meets us, who heals us, who fixes our sin and our brokenness, and it exceeds the wildest dreams of what we might be able to capture of what life with Jesus is like and will always be. In verse 4 of chapter 42, we also see that remembering God And bringing God to our minds in the midst of our longing, it actually gets manifested, God's presence gets manifested to us through his people. Through his people as we worship him together and come into the house that God has built with the bodies and souls of his people whom he has saved in Jesus. A constant and consistent reminder that we don't do life alone. That we actually do this thing called life together. That we get to have each other. And if I'm honest, a lot of times I, I can think about other people as something that I have to deal with. How about you? But God's word tells us, no, we get to have each other. We get to be present with each other in the midst of our longing and our suffering. And when our enemies are surrounding us, we get to be with each other and remind each other of the gospel of grace and remind each other that our God is with us no matter what. And he will carry us wherever it is that he is taking us, which is ultimately leading to Jesus and a new heavens and a new earth. We get to do that together. What a gift. What a gift. About 10 or 12 years ago, there was a woman whose name is Nicole Teague. 
She was 34 at the time, uh, two young daughters, and her husband's name is Matthew. And she went to the doctor because she was experiencing some abdominal pains. And she ended up finding out that she had ovarian cancer and that it was, it was metastatic. As a matter of fact, the way the doctors described it, 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 was, it was as if a painter took a paintbrush and just splattered cancer all over your body. 34 years old. Two children. Two little girls. Her husband, Matthew, is a writer. He's written for several different publications. And he decided that he wanted to try and write an account of what was going on in their, in their lives in the midst of everything that was happening. And it ultimately ended up getting published in an edition of Esquire magazine in 2014. But as Matthew was writing up what was happening in his life, he thought that it was actually going to be about Nicole, his wife. But it turned out the more that he wrote, the more it actually ended up being about their friend, a guy named Dane, who they met in college and had become their best friend. You see, Dane, when he found out that Nicole had cancer, he went to visit one weekend and he realized that life was all over the place. There were treatments, there were kids that needed to get to school, there was a house that needed to be cleaned up. And Dane actually uprooted his entire life and he moved in with them. And he was with them. He picked up kids from school. He helped bathe Nicole when she needed to be bathed. He made meals. He hosted slumber parties. He was a friend who was with them in the midst of the deep attack of the enemy of death. And then as the story moves on, as Dane and Matt are caring for Nicole, Matt finally calls this nurse that the doctor told him to call. And it turns out it was a hospice nurse. And she comes into the home and she looks at them just worn down and so weary. And at this point in, in her life, Nicole is, is, is actually having like psychosis that is happening to her. And the hospice nurse checks on Nicole and she comes back into the room and she looks at Matt and Dane and says, how, how long has she been like this? And they're like, Matt says, I haven't recognized my wife in over a month. And she looks at them and she says, oh, bless you. Don't worry, I'm here now. We're getting close to the end and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to walk you through all the way to the other side of this. And as the hospice nurse spent time with Nicole and Matt and Dane and their two girls, there's a point in time where Matt was sitting by the bed of his wife and he looked at the hospice nurse. He said, I'm afraid to go to sleep because I'm afraid if I go to sleep, I'll wake up and she won't be here. And the hospice nurse looked at him. And she said, oh, what a blessing that would be. You know, even hope in the midst of the worst of possible things that we could think of. Oh, what a blessing that something like that could possibly be. That even in death, there is a hope that is greater than the enemy of death. And that we could be brought into the joyous presence of Jesus. As heartbreaking and heart-wrenching as death is. 
And this morning, friends, what I want us to see is that Psalm 42 and 43 gives us an even better friend and an even better hospice nurse. We get a Savior. We get Jesus. You see, the refrain in these two chapters rings loud and true. Hope in God, my salvation, my God. The sons of Korah recognized that there was a need for salvation. They were being attacked by their enemies. They couldn't be in their home. And yet they remembered a God who had promised that salvation would come and that there would be a Messiah who would one day come and rescue us from all of our enemies. Outside, inside, and all around us. Who would redeem all of the brokenness and even defeat death itself. You see, we get to see that the salvation that is promised in Psalm 42 and 43 is fully and finally found in Jesus. Who is God come to dwell among us. Who is Advent, grace appearing to you and to me. Coming and living the life that you and I should have lived dying the death that we should have died on the cross so that he would purchase forgiveness for our sins and that we would have life and we would have life everlasting in him. And he was raised from the dead and Jesus' resurrection means that you and I, we get resurrection too, that we get bodies one day that will no longer decay but will only be full of life. And Jesus, Jesus is the one who leads us into God's house with songs of praise. And he holds on to and fulfills all of God's promises of life, hope, relief, salvation. Psalm 42, we see that God is truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Psalm 42 tells us that God is light. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the light of the world and he's come into the world in the darkness has not, will not, never will overcome him. Psalm 42 gives us a picture of a deer that is panting for water. And Jesus tells us and the woman at the well that I have a well of living water. And it never ends. And you will never thirst again. You see, Jesus is God's presence with us. Jesus is the one who carries us through in grace no matter what is going on in our lives. Jesus is the salvation that we deep down long for. And he doesn't minimize our circumstances. He doesn't stuff them away and push them away. He actually invites us to open up about them and to recognize and realize that he is the one who gives us hope in the midst of them. Because we get to have life with him and we get to have life together in him. Jesus fully cast down our enemies. Jesus turns pride into humility. Jesus turns materialism into generosity. Jesus turns power hungriness into compassion and selfishness into gift. Jesus takes our hard heads and our hard hearts and he brings understanding to us. He takes death and he turns it into life. And even in death, he sits with us and he says, oh, what a blessing it will be 
when you will get to wake up and be in my presence forever. The one who's given myself for you that you would have life and have it abundantly. That we get to step into God's promise of salvation in Jesus. His one and only son. This morning, that's the invitation to our longing. That's the invitation to our desperation. Come to Jesus. You'll never thirst again. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us hope. That you are our hope. In the midst of longing, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of desperation, in the midst of when our enemies are on the prowl. Whether those enemies are outside of us, whether those enemies are our own sin that we are struggling with, or whether it is the enemy of death that knocks at every single one of our doors. Jesus, you invite us into life with you. You invite us to bring all of those things to your feet and to see and to recognize and realize that you are with us. And even more than that, you are with us. You've given us your people to be with us as well, that we might hope together in our God, the God of our salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.